0: Awesome, if you have your Bibles i'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter two, and uh, I believe there's children 's church, so if you want to make your way down there right now, uh, Ephesians chapter two, and just give me a sec here, let me pull the communion table all right, yes, Ephesians chapter two. so uh, as you know, if you 've been joining us for the very first time uh we have j- we've been uh, going through uh, the book of Ephesians this fall, learning about what God's Word has to say to us. And so I am always, uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, I want to let you know that you can take one of the blue ones uh, in the seats in front of you uh, as your very own. It's our gift to you. We believe that everyone who wants a Bible should have one. Uh, but if you don't... Uh, I I just want you to let you know that you can. Otherwise, if you do have your Bible, I always encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. And uh, we've been going over the book of Ephesians this year. And we've been learning, we've been titling it, The Who and the Do. And we've been specifically looking at uh, our identity in Christ and who we are in Christ and how, how that affects what we do and how we act. And so we've been learning uh, a little bit here that uh, my clue is not working, guys. Uh, Hit hit the next slide for me there. Uh, We've been learning that chapter one has been talking about how we've been blessed in Christ. And uh, last week we learned about uh, uh, how we are saved in Christ. Uh, So, chapter two, verses one all the way to ten, uh, talks about our salvation. and, And today I'd actually like us to learn a little bit more about what it means to be saved. So uh, with that, uh, if you could hit the next slide for me there, I'm going to actually ask you to stand up. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to read uh, it along in the ESV version. Uh, Stand up and read this with me as we read the Word of God together. Okay, one, two, three. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right. Thank you, you guys. You can take a seat. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would speak to us and move in our hearts, that you would uh, help us understand what it means to be saved by grace through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to take this uh, passage apart bit by bit. So you want to hit the next slide for me here, and we're going to talk about this part right here first. So we're going to talk about uh, the, last, the first half of verse 8, which says, By grace you have been saved through faith. So if you've been in church, you've probably heard that quite a bit, and you, you kind of have an understanding about what that means uh, but just for a matter of review, let's talk about those three things: grace, faith, uh, being saved, and faith. So let's talk a little bit about what grace means. You want to hit the next slide for me there. So grace. Uh, so simply, I want to point out this: is that grace means undeserved favor, faith means being sure of what you hope for, and salvation means being rescued from harm ruin, or loss. So let me just uh, unpack that a little bit. Let's talk about grace for a minute. It says that we are saved by grace. And that is a word that if you've grown up in church, you've, you've heard it a lot before, that you are saved by grace. And so grace actually has a few different meanings. Can someone give me a meaning other than the way that we use it in church for grace? Any When we say he's full of grace, you know, what does that imply? They have good motor skills. They have good motor skills, okay, yeah. When I say they graced me with their presence, what does that mean? showed up. They showed up, (laughs) okay. So is that what it's talking about when it talks about you've been saved by grace? No, no. What grace means is that grace essentially is unmerited or undeserved favor. It's this idea that you have been treated well, that you have been blessed well, that you've been given a gift, and you actually don't deserve it. There's no merit to it. There's nothing you did to earn it. It was just given to you, even though your actions and attitude and behavior might have merited the, the opposite result. So if you think about it this way, I want you to think about a paycheck. So when you uh, get a paycheck for your work, that is not grace, okay? That is an obligation. So what you have essentially done is you've gone to your employer and you have agreed to do so many hours of work or some, some kind of work, and in return for your work, for your effort, you will get X amount of money. Okay that is an obligation that is a reward or a or a, a due or an obligation that the employer has to you over this and so when we say grace what we were talking about is the opposite idea that you are given something without any merit without anything of your own doing okay grace is a free gift it is a reward that you did nothing to earn. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go forward. So then there's the option of faith. What does faith mean? Well, faith means being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. I like the way that uh, Hebrew, the NIV puts this in the 1984 version, of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and what? Certain of what we do not see. okay. So how I would word it is this. Uh, faith is, is uh, <clears throat> being sure of what you hope for. It's this idea that stand, sink, or swim, this is my conviction. Okay, Faith is being, this is the way that I would word it if you were going to paraphrase it in a Dan Renton way, is that faith is being so certain of what you don't see that you act as if your beliefs are real. I know that's spelled wrong, but just a just me for a minute, right? So faith is this idea that my, these, are these, my, these are the convictions that I hold, and there's no way that I can actually see it or prove it in some sort of 100% way, but I believe and I am so convinced that it is true that I am willing to live and act as if they are. Okay? That's faith. Okay. it is different than hope faith is uh, built on hope it's being sure of what we hope. hope for and then there's this last one salvation and what does salvation mean well if you've been in church a long time you've pretty you've heard uh, that term too and salvation could be kind of a churchy term so let me break it down for you the one of the earliest uh, mentions of salvation comes from Exodus chapter 14. And it's this uh, story, if you recall, about uh, God's people that they are, being, that they are uh, being rescued from Egypt and they are wandering the desert and they get hemmed in. And on one side they have, they have a, a, um, uh, an ocean, or sorry, not an ocean. They have a body of water and on the other side they have an army. And that would seem like a pretty helpless situation, one where you would need deliverance. So I want, you to, I want to read the, the story for you. Exodus chapter 14, verses 9 to 12. I think I have it on the screen with me. It says this. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them and camped at the sea in front of Baal Zephron. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of God lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is, because, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt?' Is this not what we said when we said in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It's a pretty hopeless situation. A situation where they are powerless in and of themselves to fix it. Then I want you to see what it says in verse 13. It says this, Moses said to the people, Fear not and stand firm and see the what? Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. Now here's what I want you to catch. In this context, God wasn't saying, "Today you're all going to die and you're all going to drown and you're going to go to heaven, okay? That's not what salvation is meant in this context. Now, and when we talk about salvation, it, doesn't, it does include that, but it's not only that. Salvation in its purest form means that you are being rescued from ruin, harm, or loss. When we talk about Jesus saving us from our sins, what we mean by that is that Jesus saves us and delivers us from the destruction that sin is about to destroy, uh, de- about to do on us. You see, salvation is this idea that you are being rescued and saved from whatever it is that's about to destroy you. And in our context, it's sin. Sin is the thing that is about to destroy you. So, going back that, going back the way, if we were to go back to our verse and define. That, go back. Go to the next one there next one here's how I would here's how I would interpret the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 so when it says by grace you have been saved through faith this is what I mean, hit it again hit it again for me here go, go faith, Go. keep going man I need the clicker, keep going Here's what I'm going to say that faith is, okay, or this person is going to say. Faith, in this context, means we have to trust that what Jesus did on the cross to rescue us was motivated by favor that we didn't earn. Let me say that again. When we, look at, when we say that we have been saved by grace, through faith, what we are really saying is that we have to trust that when Jesus died on the cross to rescue us, his entire motivation was out of favor that we did not earn. Isn't that freeing? That should be very freeing to you. That should be very welcoming to you. There should be this sense that God loves you so much that he was willing to give you a gift that you didn't earn and you didn't need to strive for or work for. And there should be a sense of freedom and grace and healing in that because you don't have to work for it. Here's the thing about when you have to work for your salvation when you have to earn it. You, have to, you can't lose There's this pressure that you and I put on ourselves whenever we think that salvation is by works or what we earned or that we deserved it. And that is is that in order to do it well, we have to be perfect. We have to do it well all the time. We can never mess up. We can never make a mistake. We can never uh, do that. And the great thing about grace, friends, is that because it was a gift given by grace, unmerited favor, you can feel freedom from trying to be perfect all the time. Isn't that true? That's good. There's a sense that where God loves you so much that he cares for you and he loves you and he cherishes you. Salvation is by grace through faith. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross was motivated by favor that you did not deserve. And I think that is so freeing. So that begs the question for you and I, and a lot of us grew up in church, we've heard that before, we know that we are saved by grace, that there's nothing that you and I could ever do to earn God's favor or love. So then here's the question. Why then is it in Ephesians? You see, I know that you know this, and you've heard it before, and you might be feeling like tuning out, but if you tune out, you miss something. This book was written to who? Christians or non-Christians? Who is Say it again. Christians. It was written to Christians. Christians, people who already heard this stuff before, people like you and I who go to church here at Manor. It's, you've grown up with it, they grew up with it, they heard it before, they believed it before, so the question is this, if they heard it before, if they knew it, why did he write it? Any takers on that? Why would you spend, like if, you got to understand that writing a letter in that day is a very costly resource compared to writing an email today. When you and I write an email, we just kind of, or send a text, it's just a quick uh, click of the button the away it goes but I want you to think about what is being written here. This is a letter written to, from prison to a church and they don't have the mail system like you and I do today. You would be lucky if it ever got to your recipients on time. So let me ask you a question. If you had this valuable, if you had a limited amount of space to say something okay, and you knew that there was a good chance that it wouldn't get there, you would Boil down your letter to what you thought the most important thing was to say. Okay? So then, why would he write it and remind them again if they already knew it? They lost the first love. Yes, that could be it too. You see, friends, I think the reason is that that uh, <clears throat> Paul reminds them that they are saved by grace is the same reason that you and I need to remember that we are saved by grace. And that is this, is that faith and grace stand against pride. Listen to what I, the rest of the verse says. Uh, you see, I think what you and I have to understand is that I think that what happens is the longer that you go to church, the less you believe that you are saved by grace because your life isn't as bad as everyone else's. Listen to what uh, the rest of the verse says. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You are saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the what? Gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may what? Boast. You see, friends, I believe that there is a trap, and that's, the trap is this, is that the longer that you and I go to church, the longer that you and I are Christians, the more that Christianity is a generational thing in our family, the more prone we are to forget that we are in grace. Is that true? Can I get a smile and a nod in that? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. In order to receive grace, you must conclude that you need grace. And some of us have trouble with grace. And so, what you and I need to understand is, is that it need, the reason that Paul is reminding them that salvation is grace through faith is we forget, we just slip into it. Okay? We don't easily come forward for prayer, we don't easily come forward to the altar so that everyone else can see that we are a sinner. We don't show that we're vulnerable. We don't want to admit that we're in need and sin. And, and the, the reason for that is that we don't naturally like to confess the idea that we are sinful. We have so much difficulty reminding ourselves that we are people of grace. So I'm going to do a little exercise here to show you this. So I need, I need some church participation in this, okay? So I, I probably need a better marker. So let's go this side and this side. So let's say that this side represents you thinking that salvation was earned. And let's say that you think this side represents salvation that was given as grace. So just a... Just throw it out and yell it out for me. If you believed that salvation was by grace and grace alone, in other words, you didn't deserve it, how would that person act, behave, pray, think? Any takers? Just be grateful. Okay. Anything else? Empathetic. Empathetic? Humble. Humble? Anything else? Thankfulness. thankfulness? Yeah, I got that one. Grateful. What's that? Peace. How about, how would they react when they were sinned against? Forgiven. How would that change their prayer life? More earn, okay? More often. More earnest. Okay? You'll have to forgive my spelling. <laughs> uh, I heard understanding. Joyful. Joyful, okay? out of love, not out of duty. Okay, so how would I word that? right motivation for good things I don't know like alright now let me ask the opposite question if you believed that you are entitled to salvation how would you act and behave demanding. what's that demanding. you'd be demanding, demanding so it's demand. okay Any, anything else conceited can I see a prideful it's easier spelled. Judgmental. I didn't. I didn't get this job by my spelling. So, <laughs> judgmental. How would they pray? Selfishly. Selfishly. They. There would be a sense of entitlement. Oh, can I use that? Anything else? How would they behave in the relationships? Selfish. Selfish. How about hard on themselves? Yeah. Any? Give me one more. What's that? Uh, temperamental. I heard another one. Workspace. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, temper. Alright, now I know that this might be hard to read, <laughs> Okay, but this past week, which one, which one of these lists represents you? This past week, were you grateful, were you unpa- empathetic, were you humble, were you forgiving or were you demanding or prideful or enti- did you have entitlement? How about this last month? How about this last year? You see what I'm saying? How many of you would say that you've been oscillating between the two? Like, a few. You see what I'm saying is that we are in need of grace, and sometimes we forget that we are in need of it. That we are people that need to be reminded that our salvation is not because we are entitled to it. It's not because we have a good life. We need to understand that we are broken people, and we don't want to admit it. We have so much difficulty admitting that we are people of grace, and that's why Jesus told the Pharisees that the prostitutes and the tax collectors were entering heaven before the religious. No Christian, my friend, is born saved. A person does not know Jesus because they were raised in a good church and Christian family a person is not tricked into salvation nor are they raised a Christian because they believe that the events historically happened they are not saved because they did not they didn't they didn't do enough they did good deeds that god would owe them salvation salvation is an unearned gift we need to understand something and that is this is that god is not impressed when you try hard He's impressed by your trust in Jesus. Church membership, baptism, giving to charity, being a good neighbor, taking communion, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, living by the golden rule, not listening to secular music, depriving yourself of something you love, praying five times a day, meditation on weird things like crystals and chanting, and a search for spiritual enlightenment does not make you in good standing with God. In fact, Scripture goes on to say that our good deeds, our best effort, is like filthy rags to Jesus. It's not good. And by the way, when it says that, it's a, that our righteousness is like filthy rags, that's the English translators giving you the Disney version of what that says. It's actually quite vulgar and disgusting. And if I repeat it in church, I'm pretty sure I would get fired. So my point is, is that to God, your best effort at being good is not great. You see, some of us are in great danger because we think we have things to commend ourselves before God. And our feelings tell us that we're doing just fine, but our navigational instrument, the Bible, tells us that something else. And if we go to church regularly, I think we are in great danger of forgetting it. It's a danger for every Christian, no matter their background, no matter if they've been at church for five minutes or 500 years. But I want to say to you that it's a, it's a danger or a pitfall that those of us who have grown up in the church need to be aware of, okay? Because we tend to think that because our lives aren't as bad as other people's, that we're not, quote, as sinful, okay? And I know I've played the church game too. I've been here long enough in church. I've grown up in church my entire life to know and understand that there's not a Christian in church that would admit that they are better, at least vocally, okay? But inwardly, we kind of do, right? And we fall into that trap of thinking that grace or salvation is something that is earned instead of something that is given, okay? The most dangerous kind of Christian is a Christian that doesn't realize that they are in need of grace, and every Christian can fall into that trap. But I think that some of us are more prone to fall into that trap than others. So I'd like you to read the following statements aloud with me and uh, see how you feel about them. So if you got the next slide for me there, it goes to the ones where I say I'm powerless. So I'll just read them for you. So repeat after me. Because of my sin... I am powerless to rise above the sin against me. Say it with me. Because of my sin, I am powerless to rise above my own bitterness. Because of my sin, I am powerless to fix my broken relationships. Because of my sin, I am powerless to overcome my addictions. Because of my, sin, overcome my addiction. because of my sin, I am powerless to control the results or consequences of my sin. My life is a mess. My best attempt to fix it is a joke or dirty rags before God? That's why I'm here. How does that feel? <laughs> really? It probably doesn't feel very good. And I'm not trying to be mean by pointing it out. My, I think if you've I've been here three years and you know that I want you to like me. <laughs> So pointing out how sinful and we broken are is actually something very hard for me. But I need you to point it out because the Bible points it out. And here's why it's so important for you and I to understand. That until we admit and embrace and believe that we are powerless over our sin, your resentments and our unhealthy behaviors, we're just kind of going to keep trying different versions of what we're doing now, trying to rise above, trying to prove our worth, trying to prove that I'm valuable, trying to deal with people in unhealthy ways, and it will never work. That's why it's really important for us to admit that parts of your life, and maybe your whole life, is unmanageable because you are dead to sin, and that salvation was a gift that was not deserved. Because otherwise, we boast about our good works and proclaim it as we do. Until you admit that you are more broken than you would like to admit, you won't be able to open up to another way of living. Which is why some people in church wait 10, 20, or 40 years before they deal with their heart issues. Because that's how long it takes for their marriages to fall apart. That's how long it takes for them to their sin to catch up with them, their addictions to make their lives ruin, And so some of us in church fall into the trap that thinking that our current ways of living will work. So let me push back against that for a minute. How much money do you think it will take before you're satisfied? How many hours a week do you feel you have to work to break the sense of incompetence that you have or make up for your past failures? how much steamy romance novels or pornography are you having to watch before the loneliness is gone? How much Bible study or scripture memory are you going to have to do before you're acceptable before God? How much rescuing, yelling, or manipulation will it take to to turn your kids or in-laws the way that you want them to? How much food, criticism, criticism, Binge watching Netflix, spending too much time on a hobby, will it take before you are happy? How much binging, cutting, and prescription drugs or busyness at church will it take before you drown out the sin that you hide in your closet? How's it working? We have so much difficulty admitting that we are people of grace. And friends, that's why this text is here. It's there to remind us that we do need grace. Because if we do not remember that salvation was something that we did not earn, then what winds up happening is we boast as if it did. We don't realize our sinfulness, and we don't realize the damage that sin is doing to ourselves and our relationships until it blows up in our face friends we have to trust that what Jesus did on the cross to rescue us was motivated by favor that we did not earn and that is why communion is so important to us communion commemorates the last meal Jesus had with his disciples before he went to the cross i'd like to read you that story real quick in matthew chapter 26 verses uh, 26 to 29, and it records what happened. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke and gave it to the disciples and said, Take this, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks, and he gave it to them saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood for the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. In that story, Jesus tells every Christian that when we have a meal together as a church, you are to break the bread and drink the wine, in our case, grape juice, as a reminder of the broken body and spilled blood for our sins. Communion, friends, is there to remind us that salvation is unmerited favor on our lives. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've had my share of communion times, and there are times when communion feels like an obligation rather than a life-giving necessity. And if that feels, if you've ever, if you've ever struggled with that, I just want to say that that is a warning sign that a serious Heart scan needs to take place, that maybe that you've forgotten that you are in much need of grace than you think you are. Communion reminds us that we are all in need of grace. Communion is there to remind us that the cross is the center of everything that we do, the core thing that binds us together as a church. At Manner, isn't the music we like, the kind of style of church we like, where we come from or how we raise our kids. It's Jesus. The thing that binds us together is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Simply stated at Manner, the most important thing is that the cross represents that Jesus gave us a gift that we do not deserve. As Jesus hung on the cross alone and naked, Jesus began to drink in the shame, the desolation, and the destruction that was rightfully yours and mine to bear. Communion points us to the cross and tells us that before the foundation of the earth was laid, God already chose to save you through crucifixion. His love for you cost him absolutely everything. And there was nothing you did to earn it. What a gift, amen? Amen. This is important that you and I remember that when we have communion. So I'm going to call the helpers up to help me with communion. And I would invite you to join me in communion